Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm your host, Samuel Austin Taylor, Sam T, Sir Sam T on all the social media channels, and you're listening to Outsize Returns. My guest today is somebody I've known, I started thinking about it, since 2001, I believe. Since 2001, we went to college together um, at the mean streets of Texas A&M University. But more importantly, he's on the podcast today to bring you valuable information in regards to the Houston real estate market and real estate in general. And I think his perspective is really unique because he has an engineering foundation. My guest today is Anthony Any, and he's not just anybody. I just learned that today. <laughs> How you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Cool. Business good? Business is going well, yes, sir. Yeah. So, you know, the, the premise about Outsize Returns is really just to present content around entrepreneurship, business, financial planning, and anybody that is looking to, you know, gain outsize returns. It's my belief that, especially since I've transitioned full-time into real estate, that a lot of people are seeing this asset class as something they need to get into, not only just rent, but also own or invest in in some capacity. So I wanted to talk to you particularly now, you know, as our first guest about the Houston real estate market and real estate in general. But before we get into that, you know, tell people about your background. You were a petroleum engineer when we were in college together. And now, you know, now you're post MBA. Tell people about your background, how you kind of went from being an engineer, you know, cause that's a highly paid profession to now a real estate, a full-time real estate agent. Yeah. So, um, you know, just basically as a kid, uh, grew up knowing that I was going to be an engineer. Uh, in fact, my first passion was in computers, technology. And when I went to, uh, when I was in high school, I mean, they pubbed hard, uh, the oil and gas industry. So um, that's when I decided, okay, well, I'll be a petroleum engineer. And um, so I did that for a little over uh, half a decade before being laid off in 2016. Um, now, prior to being laid off, I had my real estate license and I was doing little stuff here and there, investing here and there. Um, but my ideal was to do the engineering during, you know, Monday through Friday, then Saturday and Sunday, I'll be this, you know, uh, real estate tycoon. I just, it, it didn't work out that way. Um, mm -hmm. And for obvious reasons. So uh, that's how I got transitioned into real estate full time because okay. this was, my true passion. Were you were you buying single family homes at this time? And what, what yes. market were you in? Yeah. Um, so I bought my first house. I, it was 2011. Mm -hmm. um, I bought like a small townhouse, uh, but it was a horrible investment. Uh, and I didn't really have anybody to um, to go to, you know, to say like, hey, this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. I just kind of trusted um, the first face that I, that I was referred to. And um, it was a wholesaler and they were a bit scrupulous. And so misguided me towards a property that had absolutely no equity um, that I got a hard money loan on that I couldn't refi out of. Oh man. So, uh, yeah. So. 
It was a horrible, horrible first experience. So, so for people that don't know, wholesalers, what they do is they try to get under contract properties that need some work. What, they, what they're trying to calculate, just for simple terms, you know, let's say a property is not on the market, but it's worth $100,000. But if you put $50,000 worth of rehab into it, it may sell for 300 plus. They're trying to pay for that property for a hundred thousand and then sell it to somebody else for one twenty. Keep that difference and let that investor that paid them one hundred and twenty thousand for the contract to you know rehab the property. And so you got caught in the middle of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically, if we were to go back to that exact same scenario. Um, using $100,000 as the price that they got it under contract at, it would be the equivalent of that. Um, I bought it for 120 and it was worth 120. So, mm. um, you know, when you have a hard money loan on it, it has higher interest rates. So I was at a 14% interest rate for over a year. And, and, and 10% for a hard money loan is probably pretty standard. So 14 is not, like people will hear 14, but that's not like, you know, yeah. out of the ordinary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a standard, standard rate. It wasn't high, good credit, reserves, good job. So I was very low risk. Um, what ended up happening was fortunately for me, uh, I found a tenant. I rented it out for exactly pretty much how much I was getting charged for. And, uh, and then I sold it after a year after they got their credit and everything established. Gotcha. So, did you make money when you sold it or you broke even pretty much? Um, the money that I would have made was negligible. Yeah. So I can't remember. I don't remember how much money yeah, I made. Yeah. You, you were just happy to get out of the deal. Exactly. <laughs> when you buy, when you buy a lemon, you just need to get out of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So now you're an agent and you know, you went to business school and now you're, now you're a full-time real estate agent. You know, yeah. what things do people need to be looking for when they buy their first home? Because I'll tell you, you know, I bought my first home in the Bay Area in 2017. And I'll tell you, it was a nightmare experience. I tell people all the time, I probably went to, and I'm working a full-time job at this time. I probably went to 40 open houses on the weekends, but I looked at at least 200 properties and I was traveling a lot, but went to, looked at, physically looked at 200 properties and bid on three and got the third one, which I live in right now. But I think that process kind of attributed to me transitioning to real estate full time. But from your perspective, you know, what things do, do people that are looking for their first home need to know and, and what things do, like what are some of the pitfalls that they kind of avoid that, that you've seen from you know, the homes that you've shown? So basically I would say the ultimate biggest, biggest pitfall that a majority of people fall into is the belief that um, they could negotiate uh, the best deal for themselves. Um, so they, they, they therefore um, try to bypass any other agent that could potentially represent them uh, by going at it on their own. So that means if you're looking to buy a new construction house instead of contacting a, a realtor to help represent you on that transaction, Mm -hmm. You just go directly to the builder and yep. uh, you let them tell you whatever they want and you buy from them. Or if you're looking to buy a used home, quote unquote, um, then you would just call up the agent that's on the sign and then try to, 
you know, use only that one agent as opposed mm-hmm. to having an agent of your own. That, that would represent me in that transaction. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, do you think that it's because they know that you guys get a commission? I feel like, you know, me, I've been in sales my entire career. And, you know, when I was doing some entrepreneurial things growing up, you know, it was all it was is sales. So I'm very accustomed to paying for things and paying for service. I get taken aback when things are free or, you know, people want to do things for me without any money. I'm like, okay, what's the catch? Like, you know, like if you just yeah. put a price tag on it, like that would be more honest to me, but I understand that, you know, people are different. Like, why do you think, why do you think people that are shopping for homes kind of experience something like that? Well, um, a lot of the time it just comes from just bad advice. Um, you know, and, and you know, you have to buy it like this, right? If you're going out there to look for, anything and then you have all of a sudden a new person that you're introducing into that process um you probably like well i'm probably going to pay more because i gotta i now have to i'm buying this house so i'm paying i am paying as the buyer the commission for this house as well as i gotta pay for this other person's commission so i I believe it's the the faulty uh belief that if they get another agent involved then the owner would have to pay more commission. Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a price and value kind of deal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are you, are you have any investment properties that you own currently right now? Currently do not own any investment properties. Okay. Uh, just the house I'm in. Now, I mean, a lot, the reason I asked that is because I know that you're living in Houston and I still have tons of family in Houston. And it seems that, there are so many people not only flocking to Houston. Every time I go back home, I mean, new freeway construction, new building. This area of town looks nothing like it did four years ago. And so I think business must be fantastic for somebody like you, you know, where out-of-state investors or people that are not familiar with the city know that jobs are going to Houston. More people are migrating there. That means more people have to have shelter, which is really good for a realtor or anybody that's, that's acclimated to real estate. So from your perspective, like where would be some good markets to invest in, like good places to get, you know, maybe your first rental property. Um, if you were, if you had the, the funds to kind of get a rental property or, or you wanted to partner with somebody to get a rental property for an investment. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and, and I'm just going to turn this into a little mini investor presentation. That's fine. Uh, but when you're looking at any property at all in any kind of you know major metropolis in the United States, a majority of the wealth, the majority of the growth is going to happen from downtown and then outwards. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm saying that to preface, I would pick Sunnyside as a great um, place. Um, to Sunnyside, yeah, okay. Sunnyside. Sunnyside would be a great place. Third Ward is is already it's already growing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with the that. High school of So you know the heights that are that already got you know um, advanced. That that market is already is already matured. Uh, Spring Branch is a great area as well. Pearland is a great area. Um, really, any place, and, and you know, I'm sure there's going to be people from all over uh, the United States, all over the world that listen to this uh, podcast. Pick a pick a spot right that downtown area, and then just draw a radius about eight to ten miles out from that. Um, 
and every place has a good part of town, right? You have the north side, south side, east side, west side. So for Houston, it just so happens that the south side is a little bit better than the north side. The west side is a little bit better than the east side. And of course, there's little pockets, right? Um, mm. that, that becomes exception. But just generally speaking, those things are true. So um, southwest of downtown, uh, that area that would include the sunny side, includes uh, that Braze area. Um, those would be some great areas to buy an investment property um, and, you know, in five, seven years, see your return um, double. Oh, wow. Double. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. uh, that's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How is, um, how was, how was COVID-19 affected doing business? Because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, I think at least in the Bay area, in Northern California, you know, I think people are taking, have always taken it a little bit more seriously than anybody else. I don't want to say anybody else than other parts of the country. Our governor has, has been really serious since about March. My fiance's company made her shelter in place around March 15th. And they just announced yesterday that it's stay at home from work for the rest of the year. Wow. So that's, that's it. Yeah. And wow. that's another tale to me that, you know, real estate is a great opportunity, you know, for an investment. You know, if you have all, if you already have, apartment buildings that you own or single family homes inside of your portfolio. That's a fantastic, you know, situation that you're in. On the flip side, I want to hear how, like, how has COVID-19 affected, you know, listings and showings and really doing business outside of just the attractive market for you? Like how have you had to kind of navigate, you know, just the changes that have been so abrupt uh, here recently? So, um, so two things have happened. The first thing is, um, like, so for instance, your fiance, her company said, hey, everybody's working at home for the rest of the year, okay? So if you didn't know anything about real estate, you might be a little bit more apt to say, you know what, we're not gonna do anything at all this year because we're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been seeing a lot of people staying at home, right? So let's say for instance, all the people who had their home on the market in March, but then their contracts expired with their realtors and they were back on the market. Uh, or, um, now, how long does that, not to jump, not to cut you off, how long does, does that contract typically say? So if I want to sell a house, you, I want you to list my house and be my agent. How long does that contract last? It, it, honestly, it's all negotiable. I would say okay. typical contract anywhere from three, month, three to six months um that's that's very typical three to okay. six months uh, a very typical range um but a large majority of them also go into uh one year so three okay. months six months one year those are how long does it take to typically buy a house in houston these days so you're talking about from the time that you said hey i want this house to the say, time that you can say tomorrow hey, anthony uh i'm not just anybody I got 300,000, you know, I want to buy a Houston, I want to buy a house in Houston in the sunny side or wherever area you were talking about on that podcast. Okay. So I would say anywhere from about 45 to 60 days. Um, oh, it takes about yeah. 30 days for your financing and everything to uh, get approved. Uh, sometimes that's a little bit longer. And then 
I'm giving you about two weeks to just look at all the homes in that particular market that you want to look at um, that you feel is a good candidate and then, you know, go to the closing table. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, and I think, you know, it's funny, you know, markets can shift very fast because my experience buying my first home was night and day from everybody else after I bought my first home to give you, to give you like perspective within one year, I've got, I think my first year, I probably got 12 to 15% equity inside of my house. Wow. And I, and I bid, I bid, let's call it 5% over asking. Mm -hmm. So that lets you know, how the the bay area market is but i don't think i think that if you went to the market and tried to buy a house you know it wouldn't sell as quickly as as the houses that i was looking at because i would look at a house on friday and i'm telling you by monday it was gone yeah that's why i looked at so many <laughs> and i don't think it's i don't think the turnover is is as fast anymore and that's not due to COVID 19 i just think just market dynamics have just changed you know i don't know if that's just out here or across the country or, or what the benefit is so so I, I would say right now i have been in probably the most multiple offer situations i've ever been in my career mm -hmm. and uh, how long how long have you been how long have you been in asia three years now four years so um a little over four years full okay. time okay mm -hmm. yeah um eight total okay so the uh, amount of homes on the market, you know, quality homes, homes that people actually, you know, when they walk into it, somebody wants to buy it, is diminishing. So mm -hmm. the better, quote unquote, quality or value, I would just say value, homes are going really quickly. Mm -hmm. People do want to move. We are right now in the month of May. So this is like, it's the booming season, right? We got people, hey, out of school. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Everybody wants to buy that house before the summer's up. You know, this mm -hmm. is the time. You know, and, and you don't just wake up one morning and say, I want to sell my house. You wake up, you think about it, and maybe over about three to nine months, you then put your home on the market. So um, so yeah, it's definitely a process. Um, and COVID has interrupted the people who in February were like, you know what, maybe in May, maybe in April. And then this happened and like, you know what, maybe it's just not a good time. So yeah. um, as a result, the inventory has been lower uh, for people serious. Yeah. So I know a lot of people talk about FHA loans and, you know, placing 20% down or 10% down to avoid PMI if you're looking at a house or a condo and, you know, can you walk an investor? through maybe using an FHA loan, maybe the pros and cons of doing so. And, you know, kind of just that whole process. Cause one, I think that, you know, the, the answer truly is always, it depends. There's no right or wrong answer. You would need to, and I see you shaking your head, you would need to really understand the client's full picture. Cause a lot of times, and, and I'm, I'm just assuming, a lot of times a client would, you know, see a house, good neighborhood, you know, can afford it, you know, but it may not make sense for them for their budget holistically. So can you tell people a little bit about FHA loans, the pros and cons 
for using them and when is probably a more appropriate time to, to use them versus not using them as well. Yeah. Well, FHA loans, um, first of all, they, they typically offer the, uh, the best interest rates. Um, so FHA, when I think of FHA loan as a realtor, I'm thinking of, it, thinking of it more as the best opportunity for like a first time home buyer, uh, somebody who's either young or young in their career or maybe young in their financial advancement, uh, AKA, you know, they don't have a lot of money, but they're, they're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then buy a house, let's say you wanted to do something in Sunnyside, right? Now, Sunnyside is not the best part of town to live in uh, right now. Neither was the Heights when I was yep. in high school 15 years ago. Right. So, um, to, 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 not, to, not to get you off again, but just to elaborate on the difference between the Heights in 2005 and in high school versus mm-hmm. now, to kind of illustrate that difference, like to, to show people like how a market can kind of flip, you know, if you give it time enough. Like what would, I, what the, what would a $3,000 or 3,000 square foot house in 2005 in the Heights sell for? And what is it selling for currently? Okay. Um, and I'll even do you one better. I'll tell you about the house that I almost bought when I first graduated college. So okay. um, in 2005, 3000 or $300,000 $300, in the Heights would have gotten you one of the biggest homes you've ever seen in your life. You know, the Heights wow. was, the, house, <laughs> the Heights was, the, it was the hood. You know, this was, this was not, you know, this was not a, a, a nice part of town where you're telling people, you know, with your chest puffed up. Yeah. At a, you know, and like, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you start with downtown and whatever metropolitan city you're in yeah. and you draw a radius. The Heights mm-hmm. is probably five minutes from downtown Houston? Um, rough, roughly, you know. Okay. Just I've been, I've been gone a long time, so I don't know what time yeah. is. <laughs> let's, let's just say 15. Let's just okay. Say 15. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, but it's still fairly, and everything in Houston is going to take you a half hour to get there. So with it being 15 mm-hmm. minutes, just relatively speaking for people who aren't familiar with Houston, that's very, that's fairly close. So yeah, um, $300,000 in 2005 would have gotten you uh, a lot, a lot of a lot. I mean, it's like, it's like going to McDonald's and you have, you're like, I don't care what I buy, right? That's what the, that's what it would have been the equivalent of. Mm-hmm. Um, now, three hundred thousand dollars in the Heights. I mean, you're just getting a very standard. It, it's the equivalent of in like the suburbs where homes are a lot cheaper. Um, probably like a hundred fifty thousand dollar house or something like that. So yeah, your money doesn't go as far um, in the Heights as it would in like the suburbs. At least home price wise. And we're not talking about taxes or what you're looking at. I think this would be a really good exercise. I kind of want to go on Redfin right now. I'm down, I'm looking at Redfin currently. And I want to look at a house in the Heights. And we can look at the same, we can look at the same house. Yes, I got, I got my, I got my. uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to go so we can see maybe one house just randomly Mm -hmm. that is, that is in the Heights that we can see the price differences because i want i want i want listeners and viewers to know that you know if you're patient real estate pays off if you buy in a downtrodden market 
that has job growth, that has people that are moving to that location, that municipality, you're probably going to see outsized returns. It's no different than buying Oakland 20 years ago. I can't imagine what a house in Oakland would have been 20 years ago. It, 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 it must have been $100,000 for, I don't know, 5,000 square feet. Right now, that would be, and I'm just guessing, that would probably be a $1.5 million house. Easy. Without a doubt. Like, I mean, the, the Bay Area has, I mean, this is the most expensive real estate market in the country. You know, you're talking... I guess not unheard of to to meet somebody that's paying four hundred dollars a square foot out here, you know, yeah. for for that property. That's 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 not crazy. The re- the real reason I bought a house was I looked for an apartment by myself because I got a new when I first moved to California. I was working at a company called BlackRock in San Francisco, and I lived in Oakland. And I later transitioned to another company and needed more space because I was working home and traveling a lot. And I looked at one property or I looked at one apartment and I'll never forget. It was in Oakland, downtown Oakland, 675 square feet, one bed, one and a half bath. So I had like a little nook for my office and they wanted, this was April, 2017. They wanted 3,700 a month for it. Wow. (laughs) And I was, I was just, and I was already paying, I was already paying nineteen hundred a month with a roommate, and after that, I was like, "I'll just go broke buying a house." Like this, is, like I'll put, I'll, I'll put all my money in a house as long as I can get in and sleep. I don't need fancy furniture. I don't need the key with the picture that the realtors try to show me because I'm, I'm angry. <laughs> I was like this. My first buying experience shouldn't be this painful. And you know, mind you, you know, like I told you, I've looked at two hundred properties. I was trying to buy something that was affordable in my range, but I kept getting pushed out. It was, if I wanted to buy something in Oakland, it was going to be a fixer upper and, and all these things, not to just make this about me, but to, to correlate it to Houston, it's no different than, than buying that downtrodden area 20 years ago. If you know that jobs are going to go there, that people are going to not even just move there. If jobs and opportunities come, it's going to be a driver for real estate. The end, you know, so yeah, so yeah. Um, I forgot what we were doing. Were we looking at a house in the heights? I think we, I think, yeah, yeah, we were gonna look at a house in the heights. I think I I went on, I think I went on a tangent. We can do that, we can do that. And I mean, if you find one before I do, that's good. I I got a whole list of 100 houses right here. Oh, okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, pull up, pull up a uh, like a two bedroom that's on the market. And I mean, if you can look at the MLS in Houston. What did yeah. it sell for, you know, 2000, like 1995 to 2005, sometime around there in Houston? You want something that was built around that time or just like how much it would have sold? No, no, no. Just, just on the market. And then if it's, if it's uh, just what, what was the price going for around that time period? Because uh, you said that, you know, you know, when you in 2005 or when we got out of college, mm-hmm. you know, you could have bought, you know, anything you wanted to in the heist. And I just want to show the dollar perspective for you know yeah, what yeah, that could have exactly. been. Yeah. So um I'm picking this street. I'm picking this house. It's uh I picked the street because it looks like my last name. It's ended street E N I D instead of E N I H. Okay. And uh it's listed at three hundred thousand dollars right now. 
and it's um, and it's on the market. It's on the market. It was built okay. in 1930, 5,000 square foot lot, 994 square foot home, which isn't um, out of the norm in that area. Okay. Uh, I am looking up the history to see what, okay. So we don't have any previous sales on this, but I could go to the tax records and I'll just show you what it looks like over the past couple years. Um, how well do the tax records correlate with the actual sales price because like if, mm-hmm. I, if okay so like like zero but like if, if a property's taxes if the if harris county which is the county in houston says yeah. that this property's taxes owed are around two hundred thousand, you know what does mm-hmm. that property sell for does it or it has no meaning whatsoever it really i mean and the short answer is it depends, but the real answer, if I'm talking to somebody that I know and I love and I'm like, hey, they're asking me, well, I wanna, let's say it's a multiple offer situation and uh, the house is going, the house is selling for, it's listed for, let's say 250. They look up the tax records and then they see that the tax records say that the house um, is appraised at um, 235. And they're like, wait, you want me to, I'm in a multiple offer situation. This house is, they're asking 250 and there's already multiple people that submitted an offer on it. Well, that happens very frequently. Now, mm-hmm. just because you're in a multiple offer situation and you put a certain bid on you on that particular house, that doesn't mean that that's what that house is going to uh, appraise for on the market. There's two different kinds of appraisals. There's a tax appraisal. And then there's an actual lender appraisal, right? If you're getting a loan, like let's say for instance, an FHA. Uh, okay. um, so what you'll see sometimes is uh, owner not protest their taxes. And, and I know I'm, I'm talking as if I'm talking to a bunch of homeowners. But no, basically, that's fine. That's good. Basically, because um, because your taxes will go up every year if you, do, if you don't do anything. Uh, and you're not over the age of 65, your taxes will definitely go up every single year. Now, um, if you don't protest your taxes, then the county is just going to get that money regardless. And um, I'm saying all of this to say I had a situation where somebody offered under the tax appraisal in a multiple offer situation, and um, the house did not appraise for that much. In fact, it appraised for Fifteen thousand dollars less than what the county had appraised it for, okay. and uh, the owner was mad because, hey, you know, I should be at least getting this amount. I said, when was the last time you protested your taxes? He said, I never protested my taxes. Twenty years ago. See, exactly. That's, that's why you need to keep a professional, you know, you know, in your speed dial every now and then, you know, you, you know, have because it 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 really and, and and who ultimately loses is that homeowner because number one, they've been paying way too much for their mortgage for the life of that loan. And I think it was very similar to that. 5,000 extra a year for 20 years is a hundred K. Like I'm just doing just, very simple math. <laughs> and I know 5,000 is an extreme, but you know, in essence, it doesn't take too much for somebody to end up spending a lot of money for something that they should not have spent on at all. So yeah. 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 So 
So to go back to the example, we, we had a $300,000 house. This house is currently appraised at 255. Two years ago, it was appraised at 245. And I'm looking at everything about this house. There's nothing at all that would have told me that I could not buy this exact house for under $100,000 in 2005 when I was in high school. Wow. Under, maybe even under 50, to be honest with you. There's nothing special. Under, under 50? So from yes. 50, from, from, from 2005, let's just say, let's just call it 50,000 mm-hmm. to 300,000 present day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What's the, you, I mean, is it, it's on the market right now, right? Yes. Yes. Can you, can you give the, the MLS number so people can find it? Like if they wanted to search for it? I'll give them the address right now. 1211 okay. ENID street. Um, when you think about it, I think any ENIH as well, but yeah, <laughs> MLS, number is, <laughs> MLS number is 321-639-49. Okay. Just so people can find it, because, I mean, I think that's a crazy example, yeah. you know. Um, it's, it just goes to show that, you know, if you have the knowledge and, you know, also the capital or the network, you know, you can make some things happen if you're patient enough. Because uh, I would have never guessed that either. You know, when I when I go back home, I see so many townhouses. You know, in the South Side, Sunny Side area, like especially when I'm driving on 610. And these are places where you know it just took somebody to have just a little bit of vision or a lot of money and you know recognize the opportunity because they probably missed that opportunity 30 years ago, but they've been doing it for a long time. I would have just never guessed that, you know, people would want to migrate to some of these locations and there's four story condominium or four story townhouses in some of these areas uh, that are popping up all over the place. And, you know, Houston hasn't turned anybody away to move down there, you know, so it'll probably keep happening. And, and and I I forgot to leave this extremely important part out um, in this, you know, investor part of my presentation. Um, <laughs> the, value, the value, the true value um, is in the land. That's the reason why. So mm-hmm. um, real estate, just like a lot of things, once you master those fundamentals, the fundamental principles, right? Right now in this period of time, the last dance is the hot documentary that everybody's watching. Um, yep. You know, mastered the fundamentals Kobe did as well. When you master those fundamentals, that's when you can see an opportunity like that, as boring as it may look like, as weird as it may look like, and recognize that opportunity for you to get a return on your investment. So what are, what are those real estate fundamentals? Uh, real estate uh, fundamental, um, which goes back to economy of, uh, of supply and demand, is basically the scarce the, the principle of scarcity right so mm-hmm. land all of these things are changing in the world oh uh single air no dual air oh single pane windows no dupe okay well land is the only thing that has not changed it doesn't matter how much money you have you can't take a piece of california and drop it here in Ailey. you have to respect the fact that there's only a limited amount of land in the Bay Area, limited amount of land in the Heights. So mm-hmm. when somebody says, hey, I wanna move to the Heights and another person says, no, I wanna move to the Heights. Well, there's not enough space for both of y'all to move. So how much are you willing to pay? Well, this house was previously appraised at 100,000. I'm willing to 
put 120. Well, I'm willing to put 130. And over time, that's how those markets mature. Yeah. So the uh, ultimate fundamental principle in the investing landscape when it comes to single family um, investments is the land is the most valuable part uh, of, of all of this. So. I, feel, I feel a debate bubbling right now. Because I, I, I would love, I would love to, <laughs> I'm, I'm never, you know, never back on the debate. Because I, I remember, this is probably now 2012, it's probably when I looked at my first two homes and decided yeah. that I was going to, I knew I was going to move from Texas eventually. And that, at, at that time, it could have been within the, the next two weeks or the next six months for jobs that I was interviewing for. And those jobs, you know, kind of send you anywhere. I, I was this close to moving to Buffalo, New York. That would have, that was not a place I would have just dreamt of living. Right. But it would have been for a job opportunity. And so I wasn't just tied to real estate, um, you know, as an investment. And this is before Airbnb and HomeAway and all those things kind of went to massive scale, even though Airbnb just laid off 25% of their workforce. Nevertheless, I think while I agree with you, um, I think the big debate, you know, over the next, uh, really the re let's call it the rest of this century will be technology versus, versus real estate. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, I love technology. I'm an angel investor, um, invest in early stage startups. Um, the reason I love real estate is because I can get in and eventually scale, but use those cash flows to eventually deploy into more early stage startups, but write a bigger check size. Nevertheless, I think that a lot of people, particularly in the Bay, when they complain about real estate, they don't recognize that the this real estate market is tied really exclusively to Google, Facebook, um, Apple, NVIDIA, all the tech companies. That's the, if the, and if these tech companies moved to Austin or yeah. Dallas or Houston or any other place that had a lot of land, these real estate values would come down drastically. Um, yeah. So that's, I'm not getting in that debate. I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Here's the thing, when you talk about if you know an alien came and took all of the tech companies that moved to to Houston, for instance, mm -hmm. um, or let's say something less desirable, like I don't know San Antonio, uh, would the uh, real estate values there increase drastically? Yes, um, and and of course you're going to always be able to find an anomaly, uh, some kind of you know since oh well no we bought a house out in Katy at a hundred and now it's, you know, 300. Okay. Yeah. You know, things happen. Yes. There are anomalies, but we're talking when we, an anomaly, you know, when we talk about the fundamentals, mastering the fundamentals, meaning that there's, you're going to have more of an opportunity for success if you follow those fundamental principles, as opposed to if you focus on the what is, and as an, you know, as a former engineer, I probably have a list of what is for every single thing. Yeah. Um, too many. <laughs> oh, I mean, you want if you want if you want me to just shut up, just give me a free body diagram and uh, and leave me, leave me alone for a weekend. I'll just I'll overthink anything. So, That's hilarious. Do you uh, <laughs> you have plans of becoming a broker? Yes, I, I actually do. I um, okay. 
I started the paperwork for it two years ago. What what makes being a broker so special? Like, why do like I mean, outside of I'm gonna assume you make more money, but beyond that, like, why do people become brokers, real estate so brokers? When it, now you have two different types of real estate brokers. I'm gonna um, talk briefly about both of them. So if I became a broker, I would be a broker associate, uh, meaning I'm a broker working under a broker. And uh, the only benefit that that would have to me is that I would, number one, have a better title, right? So people are like, well, I'm talking to a broker. I am a broker. But you wouldn't know that I'm actually a broker under a broker. So I'm not the broker. I'm just a broker. There's a difference. And um, number two, uh, there is a slight level of um, information that I could get, you know, and I also have the freedom, right? If I say, hey, you know what, um, real estate company that I'm under, I want to go over to a different one or I'm going to just forget all this. I'm going to just go out on my own. I could always do that and I wouldn't have to look for anybody for sponsorship. Um, but the real you know, benefits of a broker, most people don't understand, uh, even people who are um, real, estate, real estate agents right now, is that there's, there's not as much. You can do so much right now under a broker, even while being a broker, and, uh, and, nobody, and it would not affect your standard of living at all. So um, there are benefits, it's just they're, they're not enough, um, typically speaking. You know, even when you talked about pay, yes, you could make more money as a broker if you were working on your own independently. Um, but there's so many people who are brokers who are just under a broker and they, they just literally got a, uh, a title change. That's all they have. Right. Makes sense. So I know we're running up on our hour. Um, when I ask you, you know, your three favorite books, um, it could be about anything maybe real estate or, you know, personal growth or fiction, you know, it just depends. What are your three favorite books? Like some, some recommendations that you have. So um, my, the first, first book is Relentless by Tim Grover. Um, okay. That's, I mean, that's one of my favorite. I, I listen to that at least once a week. Um, and Tim Grover is the uh, uh, personal trainer for uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe, Dwayne, Wade and uh, and he just talks about how a winner thinks, right? He he was actually with Michael Jordan, actually with Kobe and Dwayne throughout their entire, you know, throughout their careers, and so um, he's certified. He had, huh? I said he's certified. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. what you know, this, that is just an amazing, amazing book um, to learn about how to be the kind of person that succeeds. Uh, the second book would be um, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Uh, and uh, David Goggins is an ex-Navy SEAL. Um, he talks about how he went through the, uh, basically like the selection process of becoming a Navy SEAL um, three times uh, before he actually made it. Navy, you know, that training is like one of the hardest things to get into, get through uh, in the world. And he did that three times. He also um, ran on broken legs. I mean, it's just an incredible story about what the human spirit can do. I've heard uh, the audio book is fantastic. Cause if you follow him on Instagram, he's a little nutty. Like, I mean, not, not nutty. Like he's definitely more original, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah. he's, he's like a six, five or six, four Ray Lewis, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
He's uh, I think he's six two, okay. but uh, um, that that makes absolutely no difference to anything. But he uh, he is he is off. He is yeah. off, but he's off because he has a stand. He has a standard of of things that he wants in life, and he knows that he's un- unlocked the the secret key, and that is struggle. Right, you have to go through pain to get the things that you truly want to actually truly advance yourself. You have to go through pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my last book would be, um, man, they're all, I guess I'm just not a fiction person. Last book is the 10 X rule by Grant Cardone. And okay. uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but mm-hmm. um, for the listeners who haven't heard about it, it's just basically um, about how you need to exert 10 times more uh, energy into whatever your goal is to actually uh, achieve it. Yeah. I uh, own a 10X rule. Um, Relentless can't hurt me 10X rule. Got it. Those are probably three very, very highly recommended. Like I'm just assuming New York Times bestseller, you know, checkbox, you know, 100,000, maybe a million copies sold, all of those things, you know, so definitely check those things, check those books out. Where can people find you, man? Like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, website? Yeah, yeah. So on uh, on Instagram, I'm Anthony Any. Facebook, I'm Anthony Any. Um, On Twitter, I'm We Invest A Lot. It's a play on uh, my favorite Biggie line. Um, We Invest A Lot? We Invest A Lot, yeah. We Invest A Lot, okay. And Any is in... Oh, E-N-I-H, you know. Yeah, yeah, E-N-I-H. Yeah, gotcha. Well, thank you for your time, man. I think a lot of people will take value from some of the things that you've mentioned, not only the book recommendations, but FHA loans, like, you know, just a number of things that you've mentioned here. Hopefully, this episode helps you all out. Also helps Anthony in business as well, too, because between the both of y'all, y'all can both achieve outsized returns. All right. Take care, everyone.